0: Now I'm rocking with the best Only two things can get you through this, man Patience and persistence Work harder than everyone Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own You're gonna have to feel some pain You're only the boss if you put up your own money If you don't put up your own money I don't care how much somebody gives you You're nothing but a supervisor It's not yours It takes fearlessness to be first You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do I started living according to
1: what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life.
0: Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer.
1: Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy C I C-I-Z-Z-Y, live action from the Culture Talks Podcast. You feel me? We back again. Kansas City, Missouri, the weather's improving, we ain't negative eight like we were last week, so you know, joyful, happy, blessed, but we're also joyful, happy, and blessed because guess what, it's another week, and like I promised you guys, every single week, I'm gonna come back with a fire guest, and we've done it again, we've done it again, y'all like, yo, why are you speaking so early, college like, the episode hasn't even started, look, I just know, it's called Confidence, <laughs> Um, with that being said, I'm going to have our guest introduce himself and then we'll jump right in.
0: Uh, pleasure to be here on the Culture Talks. My name is Armand Sadler uh, from Englewood, New Jersey. What do I do? I'm a music journalist. Well, multimedia journalist, I call myself. I don't limit myself to just music. Um, big music lover, lifelong music lover, big WWE wrestling, lifelong fan, um, big into sports as well in general, um, mental health, Um, I run my own podcast, Stay Busy with Armand Sadler. We release every Monday, 9 a.m. Uh, what else, man? I, I I do a bunch of stuff. I'm sure it's going to come up. It's hard to keep up with everything that I do because I literally stay busy. That's, that's literally my lifestyle. But um, it's it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm looking forward to us having a really fun conversation. So hell yeah, get to bro. it, man. Hell yeah. I love that. I love somebody who stays busy. We ain't got time
1: to be nonchalant sleeping around all day long. Now, yeah. if it, if it, if, it, if it's required, you know, for mental health purposes, of course, do what we need to do. But aside mm. from that, we got to get to it. Um, yeah. So I want to double back, man. You say, let me just make sure I'm correct. Englewood, New
0: Jersey. Is that what you said? Englewood, New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, no, not, not to be confused with, with the Englewood in California. That's spelled <laughs> with an I. Mine is spelled with an e, so E N G L W O O D. Yeah, perfect, perfect.
1: Okay, tell me about tell me about Eng- Englewood, New Jersey. What was it like growing up there? What's like the vibe? What's the demographics? What's the energy? What are the things that you enjoyed and and, and appreciate about that area? Just talk about the early life of Armand.
0: Yeah, man. Um, Englewood is definitely the suburbs. It's three three miles long. I'm like a 15 minute drive from the George Washington Bridge. Um, but it's 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 a really chill town you know my my parents as I've gotten older and spoken to them more about their path and what they wanted for us they wanted to put me and my older brother who's four years older than me his name's Andre they wanted to put us in an environment where we can we can thrive we can attend good schools we can play sports you know we're not in in a place that's dangerous or it's tempting to get into things that you know we didn't want to get into because um, you know they both had very unique upbringings my mom was born in Haiti moved here when she was three and she was one of seven uh, my dad is actually from California uh, from, from Oakland and then he lived in San Francisco for a long time and he had I believe his three siblings um, but they, they both had very unique upbringings you know my dad went to the Navy for a bit played college football my mom attended Barnard College, which is the Women's College of Columbia, Um, and they both recognized, you know, that there were certain things they wanted for themselves that they weren't able to get, and so they wanted to create, you know, a a better situation for us, and so they ended up in Englewood, and, you know, I can say growing up and even looking back now as I'm 25, I, I never really felt any, any, threats to my lifestyle I never felt unsafe like I kind of just did what I had to do and you know my parents kept us very busy so I I was I was doing karate until I was like six years old and then I transitioned to playing football and I uh, played basketball in the winter and played baseball in the spring Um, so I, I was always doing something I was involved in the church very young so I was in the church choir I was a junior usher I would do the Christmas plays and the Easter plays and My parents tried to get us into acting and doing commercials and you know it's looking back as as I'm going to say a lot it was really dope that they invested in us so much they gave us a lot of opportunities to figure out what we were interested in really early on, and then pursue that you know with everything but you know. Uh, the main thing was our was us getting the best education that we could and knowing that, you know, sports might not be forever. You can get injured. You might not be good enough to, to go professional, but, you know, you got to be in the books and, you know, take care of that. And that's going to carry you far. So um, they they always had us in, in the best schools, even if, you know, they couldn't necessarily afford it. Um, and, you know, I really, really appreciate that. But yeah, man, I, I had a really cool upbringing. Um, I think my dad and I really bonded over music. You know, back in the day when streaming wasn't existing, you know, we were listening to CDs. And so my dad would buy a lot of like bootleg mixtapes and be playing them in the car. So I would be listening to a lot of Mob Deep, 50 Cent. Nas, Jay-Z, and then we'll be listening to the radio as well. My mom will be playing a lot of gospel music in the car. And, you know, I didn't always want to hear that. So I'll be asking her to turn it off and put, you know, (laughs) uh, put put this Bow Wow CD in or put this Usher (laughs) CD in or put the radio on. But um, I I do love gospel music now. And like, I, I think I love that my parents are so different because I was able to bond with them over different things. And I like to consider myself a person with range. Like I'm not just a hip-hop and r&b fan i love gospel i love pop i like alternative music i like rock music and i'm not just a football fan i love i love basketball i love baseball like i said i'm a huge wrestling fan i've watched wwe my whole life and you know i never necessarily felt like i was limited in what i was capable of doing um and that's something that i i appreciate now and i carry in, into into my life these days so yeah man uh you're you're I wouldn't say I had the standard upbringing, but it was, it was cool. Like I really have, have no complaints. I love it. I love it. And I think it's funny. Like every time I have a guest
1: on from the East coast, like, or that lives on the East coast or that was born on the East coast, one of their parents is always from either like Haiti, St. Thomas Mm -hmm. or like Jamaica or there's one other or, or Barbados. They're yeah. all, or Trinidad that's like the five like all of them like it's like revolving and I always find it interesting like I want to know because there's so much like island roots like in New York in New Jersey and I wonder why like when that started like if there's any history like in some history book somewhere that explains like the deep connection between <laughs> the <laughs> islands and then like New Jersey and New York because I don't know it's like one of those things that is just like why are people moving there or like Abisha's in Washington D.C. There's like hella Ethiopians in Washington D.C. It's like why it's like like how they end up there
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I feel like it has to do with just the geographical proximity. That's like my best guess. Like you know, coming from the Caribbean, you know, it's probably really daunting to be like, oh, I'm gonna go to California or I'm gonna go to Nevada or, or even like Texas like but you know Florida's right there and New Jersey and New York are right there and New York is obviously one of the most popular states within within the United States so I think you know that they, they call America the land of opportunity and, and New York City is so vast and there's so much going on that I think you know when you when you decide yo I'm gonna move to the to the United States New York is just su- such a tempting place um, so that's, that's my best guess is just the geographical proximity and then like the popularity of New York and like New Jersey's right there. New York is very expensive to live in and Jersey has its expensive places too. Places so, well, right. But it's, yeah. a, it's, it's an easy place to,
1: to transition to if you're not, if you're tired of New York city or if you just want to get close to that area for sure. Um, yeah. so I wanted to ask you, do you know the history behind why you were named Armand or no?
0: I do actually. Yeah. Tell, um, tell us. So there was a player on the Knicks by the name of Armon Gilliam, and uh, my dad is is a Knicks fan, and so my my mom would naturally be watching Knicks games with him, and so my mom took a took a liking to the name Armon, and then um, the, the the Hebrew definition of the name there's two different ones that I've I've discovered. One is chestnut, and I, I don't tell people that, <laughs> but but uh, the other definition is castle um, or strong tower, and that's you know really. Really powerful for me, like i I consider myself a strong individual physically you know I work out, I played sports my whole life, so I've always been pretty fit aside from when I went to college and lost my my, my <laughs> discipline um and I think that I've always been a really mentally strong person and i've i've've grown even mentally stronger as I've gotten older, you know everyone has their insecurities, everyone has things that they worry about, and like i I definitely am an emotional person and and I embrace that I embrace my my vulnerability. But I think that I'm very resilient and castles are resilient. Castles were, were built to protect the people on the inside, whether it's, you know, the princess or the king or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I yeah, that's that's the history of my name. I love my name. The, there was a period in high school where I wanted to change. I wanted to switch my my first name, Armand and my middle name, David, because people w- would mispronounce Arman so often, call me Armin, call me Almin. they would add a D at the end, like just a lot of different shit. I'm like, it's not that hard. It's the word arm, the word on put together, but people would always <laughs> people mispronounce always it. People always find a way. People always Yeah. Find a way. That's, yeah, one, so. that's one
1: thing you figure out growing up is like, people will always find a way to butcher your name. Like, yeah. uh, and I was like, I, when you first see my name I could see how it could be challenging just because it's not a regular name that you see all the time but it's mm-hmm. like as soon in terms of like trying to pronounce it there's really only two ways it's like Colis or Collis like I don't <laughs> see how you can come up with any other way but mm-hmm. Colin Carlos uh, <laughs> Colesius, like people teachers <clears throat> I mean obviously mostly teachers but like just coming up with the crazy shit I'm like bro first off Carlos is spelled with totally different letters. Yeah. Totally different letters. Call in requires an N and there's no N Mm -hmm. in my letter, in my name. I used to get frustrated, but I would just be like, yeah, you can just call me Mr. Stutzer. And they're like, because I was like, you can just call me by my last name if you're going to butcher an easy first name. But so you mentioned you have an older brother. What was your relationship like with Andre growing up? And how has that like developed and advanced
0: um, throughout your life? Oh man, it was, we, we did not like each other for a lot of our life. Uh, We're very different people. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more creative and I, you know, I, he, he, he's a lot more organized, a lot more by the book, a lot more structured than me. So he would always like to keep the room super clean. And I like to keep the room, what I call it organized chaos, where it might not look the best, but I know where everything is. Right. And we actually had to share a room up until he left to college and so as like you know young kids it's not as bad because because we're smaller you know we, we might we don't necessarily value that like individuality or having our own space but as you know I as he got to high school and I got to middle school and you know he would want to have friends over or he would want to talk to girls on the phone or do different things and I would be in there either playing video games or just doing random stuff we definitely definitely clashed a lot and um, I think the the age difference as well played a big part. He, he's four years older, so he, he he experienced things a lot a lot earlier than I did, obviously. And I think, and we're both strong personalities. He we're both very confident in ourselves, and we're very very competitive. We we, we played the same sports growing up. Um, he won like three championships in in Pop Warner football. I I'd I never won a championship, um, and so he, you know he, he would always hold that over my head, but. I had a lot more individual accolades than him. Like I was, I was an all-star game MVP in basketball and just a, a couple other things I can't remember right now. Cause it's so long ago, but we were very, very competitive. It was, it was a very, very uh, contentious relationship, but you know, as they say, so often absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think the first time that I, I would ever say that I was willing to admit that I missed him, he went to uh, Syracuse summer college, the summer of two thousand eight, I believe. Two thousand eight. And so he he was away for six weeks. And so I, I had the room to myself. And I kind of realized I was like, oh man, like we argue all the time, but I, I kind of miss that. It's too quiet. Like I'm 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 too on my own. Like I, I enjoy being on my own. Like I definitely value that now. But back then, you know, during the summer because you know I didn't have the freedom. I wasn't able to drive obviously so I wasn't out. I was really just in the house playing video games or baseball practice or I think I think I was I might have been working that summer or wasn't involved in some kind of summer program but um that was the first time I was really able willing and able to say that 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 I missed him Um, and then when he fully went off to college because he ended up going to Syracuse for for four years uh that was when we got closer like we would actually text each other and check in like yo how you doing and like yo I miss you bro like I'll see you you know when you come home for the holidays and stuff like that and now that you know I'm 25 he's 29 he's, he's living in DC now he's engaged and, you know, we're just, we're a lot more mature. Um, We have a really good relationship. Like I can definitely consider him my, one of my best friends and um, he's, he's a lot more supportive now. He's a lot more understanding. And I think, I think in a weird way, he wanted me to prove myself and prove that, you know, I'm capable of doing what I do now because I'm taking a path that no one in my family has taken. You know, he went, uh, he, 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 he kind of works in finance sort of, uh, my dad works computers my my mom is a is a is a she, she's a doctor now actually um so yeah 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 shout out to her but me you know I, I'm the one who's pursuing a creative path where there's not as much certainty there's really no one way to do what I'm doing, and with you know that lack of knowledge comes a, a lot of failures, a lot of missteps um and so i I think they just wanted me to prove uh, all of them, not just my brother I think they wanted me to prove that I'm capable of doing it. And once I felt like I did that and they felt like I did that, you know, they had a lot more confidence in me. So yeah, he's, he's really supportive. I mean, we still go at it here and there, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of him. I really look up to him in a lot of ways. And uh, you can definitely say that I love that guy, even though he's, he's an asshole. (laughs) I feel like that that's the goal of uh, sibling
1: relationships though. Like you're always going to go through those struggles, like growing up, and, and you're always going to butt heads, like, like always, just always just because humans butt heads, like we butt heads with our best friends that we all have only known for five years, we butt heads oh, yeah. with our wives, we butt heads with our co workers, like, that's just natural. Um, yeah. So I think like, as we get older, and especially as younger siblings, we mature, I'm the youngest of eight children. So especially wow. as like, as young children, when we mature, that's when we're able to develop like, you know, true. Uh, long-lasting friendships with our siblings because we can actually identify you know experiences that they were going through that we didn't understand at the time because we were too young or experiences that we're going through now that they've already gone through so I always appreciate hearing those stories if you could if you could give you know one you know one significant thing you've learned from both your mom your dad and your brother um what would what would that be? It can be a life thing, it can be a business thing, it can be a, a relationship thing. What's one significant thing you've learned from each of them?
0: Yeah, I would say with my brother, um, really just the importance of hard work and staying focused. Um, I think him growing up, you know, he was he 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 was a pretty boy. You know, played a lot of sports, got a lot of girls, and uh, throughout high school, you know, that was his focus. And you know, so he, he, he wasn't the best student. Like I'm definitely the, the smarter brother, but he's, he's more disciplined and and he works harder. And then there was a period of time where when he was in high school and I was in middle school, he was getting better grades than me. And I was like, Whoa, this is weird. Like you've never gotten better grades than me. Like I don't like this. And I think, you know, a flip switched in his head where he realized, you know, I'm, I'm about to go off to college soon. I need to do the best I can do now so I can get into the schools I want to get into. And you know he ended up going to Syracuse, which were where he wanted to go. Um, and then he successfully transferred into the uh, the the uh, business school there, or the, the the finance, well, whatever the school is. But he he was able to transfer into the major that he really wanted to do, um, and graduate. And he he accomplished a lot on campus. So you know he's really taught me to to focus and and to work hard. My mom, so many lessons. Um, I think with her it's accepting failure and also not being too concerned about what other people think. She's a, she's incredible. Like I tell everyone, she's a super mom and she handles a lot of different things. And, you know, as parents, you don't really get to practice. Like you have your, you have your first kid and it's like, oh, sh- like shit just got real. Like I, I, I need to be on point. Um, and so she always calls my older brother, like, the, the experiment and then you know everything she learned with him and the mistakes she made she applied them to me and so she was a lot harder on me growing up um and and like I would see what he was able to do because again he was four years older so he was able to go to the mall with his friends by himself or take the bus plays and stuff and I wanted that as as, I, as as a younger kid and you know she knew that she had to be a bit more strict and like tougher on me to kind of make sure like I stayed focused so I could, you know, do better than my brother. Cause I always wanted to do better than him. And and she knew that. Um, and the, the, there was a period of time where I was, I was dealing with some personal stuff. I wasn't doing my best in school. And like, she sat me down and told me her story, how, you know, she originally wanted to go into pediatrics and, um, you know, she, she like messed up along the way. And then she transitioned into going into nursing and, you know, she, she's been a school nurse for the last 20 something years. And, you know, she, she loves that. Um, and then, as I said, you know, she, she got her doctorate um, from, for, from teacher's college at Columbia. She also got her master's from uh, Montclair, uh, Montclair state in New Jersey. Um, but, you know, she's used those failures as lessons. You know, she's never like, I've never seen her give up. I've never seen her quit on anything. She's just kind of taken things in stride. Um, and while being the oldest of, of seven siblings, you know, naturally, siblings are a bit, they don't always want to listen to the oldest sibling. And so, like, she's been in situations where she's been in the minority, you know, she thinks they should do one thing. And, like, everyone else is like, no, like, we should do it this way. And she's like, she, she's, she's been, been really affected by that. She, she too, is a, is a very sensitive, emotional person. But, you know, she always stays strong through it all. She always keeps a, keeps her poker face on. And, you know, she, she does what she has to do for us. Um, and that's something that I really admire. I think with my dad, um, he he is a very smart, very charismatic person, but he doesn't show it. Um, he, he very much so keeps to himself. Like, you know, he, he, he proudly tells people like, I I don't have friends. I don't like people. And it's, it's so funny because like people meet him and, and they really, they really like him. Like he has a really, really great personality, but you know, he, he really keeps to himself. And, you know, I think that's something I got from him was being so, so social and so charismatic and, you know, being able to get along with anyone. But I think, uh, at times I can be a bit too open and too giving and, sometimes it's to my detriment and so I've you know and there have been times where I've where I've been like yo like he's he's so selfish he's so to himself like like people people enjoy you like you know like you can be more open but sometimes you know you really gotta put yourself first and take those moments for yourself um, and really just be right with yourself before you're giving yourself to other people Um, and so while I, I don't think I've closed myself up to the extent that he has Um, It is something that I've tried to implement a lot more in my life um, because, you know, you're you're of no use to anyone if you're not right with yourself, like I said. And um, that's something that I'm really emphasizing at this stage in my life at 25. Um, So and there's there's plenty of other lessons, but I think those are the main three that I got from the three of them, respectively. You're on mute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that, um, I think that it's really important for individuals to really reflect on lessons they've learned from their family because, regardless if the relationships have been healthy or unhealthy like or have been healthy at sometimes and then unhealthy at sometimes, there's always something you can learn from to apply to your life and Um, to just be grateful for. You know, I think oftentimes we feel like we can't be grateful for negative experiences, but no experience is negative in case you just, you know, totally take nothing from it. In that case, then there's only the only option is for it to be negative. So, um, you know, I think it's really important for us to reflect on that. So I always try to ask that question. I find it interesting to hear the insights from different people and different relationships people have held with their parents and family. So, um, so we've talked about how you were a good, um, student and that brought you to the point where you attended what, you know, some may look at and some may not look at. I look at as a historic and, and top tier school at Cornell university. So can you talk about why you decided to go there and, um, what you studied there and just your experience
0: overall during your four to five years there? Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, through my brother going to Syracuse, I naturally spent a lot of time on that campus. I also went to the summer college program. I would visit him. I got really cool with his frat brothers up there. And um, and I, I had a lot of friends who were older than me at the summer college I went to that ended up going there too. So it just, it seemed like the path for me. It was like, yo, like it's it's right there. Like I, I got my fees uh, waived to apply there. They had the best communication school in the country. And around summer 2012, after I attended the summer college at University of Maryland, um, I transitioned from wanting to be a lawyer to wanting to work in communications and be a sports broadcaster at ESPN. So it seemed like Syracuse, what was it for me? I, I was prepared at one point to apply their early decision. But my mom, you know, she told me growing up, like, she was like, I, I want you to do better than I did. Um, she got rejected from Cornell when, when she applied their, you know. Uh, as she was getting ready to go to college and she was like so you're gonna apply to cornell and you're gonna get in i was like all right i mean i don't really think i want to go ivy league but hey I'll, I'll i'll go for it and so she made me visit there in the fall of my senior year i actually went up there with uh, with uh with one of my friends uh who attended the same high school as me and we went and we loved it we absolutely fell in love like cornell is beautiful in the fall um, everyone there was so cool. And I think you know, I, I just had these preconceived notions of an Ivy League school. I assumed everyone was super nerdy, that they didn't have fun, they didn't party, they like people wouldn't be like me. And I also didn't see a lot of people who looked like me. So that that was something concerning. But fortunately, because of the situations my parents put us in growing up, I always had a very diverse friend group, white friends, Korean friends. Uh, Hispanic friends, like just a a bunch of different people. And I knew how to get along with a lot of different people. And I've just always had the utmost confidence in myself that I can succeed in any type of environment. So upon visiting Cornell and falling in love with it, I was like, well, I can't apply to Syracuse early decision because if I get in, I have to go there. And like, I really like Cornell. So I applied to Cornell and I, you know, I realized I would have to wait till March or April to hear from both Cornell and Syracuse. Um, and senior year, I, I took an I took an AP US History class, and so every year, the freshman history class, the AP US History class, and the uh, and the and then one more class. We went to Philly for a trip to Philly to you know walk around and see different monuments and exhibits and stuff. So I was I was in Philly. I'd actually just had a call that day for to, to interview for this like summer internship program. And it, it went horrible. It was a bad interview. I wasn't prepared for it at all. So I was like, oh, man, like, I, I was kind of bummed. So I, of course, in Philly, I went to go get a Philly cheesesteak. So I'm sitting there eating it. And then I get an email from Cornell. And this is the day that I was supposed to hear from Syracuse. Like Syracuse was supposed to send their, their decisions this day. I think it was March 5th, 2013. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm checking my email every hour, like, yo, where's Syracuse? Well, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? So then I, I get an email from Cornell, and they invited me to come up for, uh, the, the, they, they were hosting for like, you know, Black students, uh, Black prospective students, and, you know, Native American prospective students, and uh, Hispanic prospective students, and they are like, yeah, so we're inviting you to come, you know, stay on campus for, you know, a couple of days and check it out. And then, like, in the next paragraph, like, it it was, like, very low-key. They're like, you're getting this invite because you're going to be admitted to the class of 2013. And I was like, wait, uh, class 2017. I was like, what? Like, how how do you just say this so casually? Like, why is that not the, the big subject line on the email? So I see it, and I just go crazy. And actually, my friend who I visited Cornell with, he heard that he got in, in like February so he, he knew a month prior to me that he was in so everyone was super excited for him and I was just waiting you know waiting to hear back and I, I was genuinely afraid that I wouldn't get in and like I realized how interested I was in the school by how scared I was that I wouldn't get in so I, I, I saw the email I was like yo I got in and like everyone heard and they like clapped for me and it was it was it was crazy man like it's it's one of it's one of the proudest moments uh, of my life because I accomplished something that I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to accomplish, so yeah, I heard from them, and then like a couple of weeks later, Syracuse actually waitlisted me, so I was like, all right, well, I guess the the decision's kind of made like i'm I'm just gonna go to Cornell and then I think a couple of weeks after that, Syracuse ended up accepting me, but their the financial aid package just didn't match up to Cornell's um and you know my parents could tell how excited I was about it um and I was talking to a couple people that I knew who went there and they were super excited for me. And it, 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 everything just kind of lined up. So, yeah, man, ended up going to Cornell, majored in communication. Um, my, my goal actually was originally I wanted to walk on to the baseball team. And then I kind of transitioned to wanting to walk on to the football team. Um, neither of those happened. Um, I ended up playing flag football, though, <laughs> and th- that was fun. Um, and then I played club rugby for a semester, which was really fun as well. But, you know, my goal going there was to be super involved and playing a college sport makes it very difficult to be involved in other things. You know, I've always like I said, I'm, I was involved in the church. I would do community service. I, I was involved in music. I played four instruments when I was young, like not like long term. I played them like one year each. But um, I, I've always just done a lot of things. So going to Cornell, I was like, yeah, I've, I've got to continue this. Like, I want to leave my mark on this campus. So I ended up joining this like freestyle rap group for a little bit. Um I like I said I played club rugby. I joined this group called Swag which is like uh, you know I've I've friendships there that last to this day and Swag stood for scholars working ambitiously to graduate. It was it was a black mentorship group. And so I attended the first event and they had this panel of all these black students, juniors and seniors who were like huge movers and shakers on campus like you know they were part of the student assembly or they were president of this or treasurer of this or they were part of a frat or they played sports and it was just so inspiring to see black men you know men that look like me doing some of the things that i was interested in so i think joining swag was a launch pad for me to meet a lot of my uh who who are now my brothers of alpha phi alpha fraternity incorporated um which i joined in the fall of 2014 and that opened doors for me to just really take over campus like from there i became the uh, vice president of 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 the uh, of the greek council um i joined this group called Kakayuga's watchers which was um it was a group that would that tried to maintain the safety of different greek events like that there would be you know greek events with alcohol there and certain frats would like if they saw like a big security guard there who said security on a shirt like that th- they would kind of be more cautious but caiga's watchers would put students there who were dressed normally you know who looked like they were just fitting in and so like certain frats wouldn't realize that there was security there because they didn't look like security so i was part of that group i i, I was the uh, i was one of the liaisons for that group um i i did a lot on, on, on cornell's campus it's it's kind of hard to remember everything that i did but you know, I can truly say that I, I I got a lot, I put a lot into it and I got a lot out of it. I really feel like I found who I was to an extent. I think I'm still learning who I am and I'm constantly going to relearn who I am. But Cornell really did a lot for me. Like, I don't have any regrets about going there um, as much as I do love Syracuse. Like, it's funny because Syracuse is like an hour away from Cornell. So I ended up spending a good amount of time on Syracuse's campus hanging out with the brothers of Alpha Phi Alpha there. And I just made a lot of friends there. And, you know, because I would visit my brother there, you know, uh, people I met who, who were going there after he graduated, I had relationships with them. So, you know, I was still able to spend a lot of time there, but Cornell really did so much for me. Like, I'm so thankful for the opportunity. Um, I'm so thankful that that my parents let me go, even if it was like, you know, the, even if we got a really good financial aid package, they still had to pay a good amount of money there. Um, and there was a period of time where I, I was messing up in school, so I had to take some time off. And you know, I had to do—I actually graduated in four and a half years, not four years. Um, but I really think that that extra semester helped me to focus, be more disciplined, um, and yeah, man, it was—it's an amazing experience. Like, and I'm—I'm I'm still so close to so many people there. I—I I, I spent a lot of time with a lot of people that I was close to there, and I built friendships post grad that I didn't expect to have. Um, while I was attending the school so it, it was amazing like, and, and it definitely had its flaws like you know being being upstate New York with nothing really around you like and and it being so cold up there like it, it was winter from November to April so it, it was it was very tough but crucial crucial yeah yeah but it, it it was it was it was really great man like I that's where I I decided that you know because I like I said I wanted to do sports broadcasting And I applied to internships at ESPN, didn't get them. And then I ended up getting getting an internship with my cousin who worked at a blog called musictimes.com. And that was really the start of, all right, I'm going to be a music journalist. And, you know, from there, I, you know, did a bunch of other things. And yeah, man, so I really feel like I found my passion there. I feel like I found some of the seeds of what would eventually be what I deem my purpose, Um, and it it just really helped shape me as a man to an extent and would you
1: would you say it's safe to say that if you weren't as involved as you were that it may not have been as necessary of an experience I feel like this is also me portraying my own thoughts by the way so Mm -hmm. um, I feel like students who decide to go to university but especially students who get the opportunity to go to like some really good schools that are going to have people who end up being some pretty big movers and shakers in society, especially in the States. Um, and who are just, you know, smart, hardworking, you know, kids. I mean, of course they're still kids. So we still wild out and everything, but (laughs) at the end of the day, still smart and, and, you know, relatively disciplined people. Um, but they go to the school, they get into a university and then they're just, they keep to themselves. They just go to their class do their work go back to their dorm go to class do their work and they graduate with flying colors which is good i guess that is the point yeah. of but like would you say that at least in maybe your field would you would you have like in in communications do you think that it what would you think was more helpful the the, the degree or the the people and the experiences that you um got to
0: go through in your opinion i would definitely say the people and experiences easily um I, I learned a lot in my communications courses that I think I apply to what I do currently, but I don't necessarily feel like my degree has helped me get any further in music journalism and, you know, multimedia journalism. Like it's been my hard work. It's been my networking. And I developed that foundation at, at Cornell. Um, Cause I'm, I'm, I'm just way too sho- way too social to be the go to class go back to my room, watch Netflix alone not talk to anybody. Like that wasn't me. <laughs> And I also had a really social roommate my my freshman year who ended up rushing for a different frat. Um, but just through him, I met so many people. And he, it's funny, he and I, when, when we decided to be roommates, we were like, yo, we're, we're, we're going to be two of the most known guys on campus. And that was something that, that we said before we even stepped foot on campus. I mean, I, I visited campus. He never visited. So he he just got in and chose to go without even actually visiting. But me, you know, since I, I got there, and I knew some people there, like I kind of, saw the landscape and I was like yeah I, I can easily take this shit over and so that that was my goal and I feel like I accomplished that um, I'm thankful for my degree I'm thankful for the people I connected with in the communications uh major and in the communications program and all that but I think I think college you know if if you limit college to the degree then you're not really getting anything out of it like especially walking Cornell's campus like there was one point where like the this this like Prince from like Saudi Arabia's daughter was going to our school and she was like living in the hotel on campus, which is a very expensive hotel. It's, it is not cheap. And she, she was like living there for a semester. And, you know, there are people now who have like startups that are valued at millions of dollars and are playing professional sports. It's like, so there's so much opportunity. There were so many people to meet and I would have really done myself a disservice if I just only focused on school, and I definitely could have focused on school more because my GPA ended up not being that great. But um, I, I really gained a lot in terms of relationship building, uh, opening myself up, taking risks, taking chances, and putting myself out there.
1: I love it. I love it, man. Well, first off, congratulations on on that that uh, achievement of graduating. Um, I know that couldn't be easy. You know those those school <laughs> all schools are hard, but definitely. Um, you know, it's well known that, you know, at certain schools, the coursework tends to be a little bit more difficult and you made it happen and Thank uh, you. you made the best of your experience. So congratulations. Um, Thank you, man. So you graduate college in what year? 20... 2017. 2017. Okay. So what is your first thought when you graduate? Like it's been two months
0: after graduation. Like what is your plan? What's your game plan? Well, first it's like, damn i made it like there was a time where i thought i might not finish there i thought i might have to finish somewhere else so patting myself on the back for making it but i graduated and I, I didn't have a job and a lot of my friends who you know graduated on time i saw what they were doing and uh you know i really try not to compare myself but back then i was a lot more insecure and i was looking left and right at what people were doing so i was like I need to find a dope job too. Like I want to be in New York city, making a lot of money, going to happy hours, going to networking events, doing all these things that my friends are doing. So I really felt a lot of pressure to find a job, but I wanted the job to be something I was passionate about. And, and I knew that was music, but finding music jobs is not easy. You know, you don't, they don't just hire staff writers. Just like you, like you have to prove yourself through your portfolio and through work that you do as smaller publications. And me, I've always aimed high. I've always thought very highly of myself. And so I was I was applying to places like Complex and Billboard and Vibe and all that and rejection after rejection. I was like, damn, am, am I not a good writer? Am I not a good enough writer? I was like, nah, that can't be it. Like, I just don't have enough experience. But it, it was getting to the point where I was like, all right, you know, my parents didn't expect me to move back home. I don't want to be living home for too long. So uh, I got, I, I took the first job that was offered to me, and that was a job in recruitment. And I didn't know anything about recruitment. It was recruitment for specifically IT jobs. I didn't know anything about IT. My dad worked in IT, but I, I still like, I I never really spent that, that much time talking to him about his job. Like it seemed cool. You know, he was able to make ends meet, pay the bills and all that. So it was like, cool, but that's, that's not what I want to do. But, you know, hearing, you know, the salary I was going to get, it was the most money that I've I, I would have ever had in my life and you know I kind of just saw the dollar signs and not you know the 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 how it didn't align with my purpose and I tried to convince myself that it'll be temporary so you know I went and I I honestly hated it within the first like two weeks I was like oh no nah, I'm, I'm not gonna last here but I, I tried to make the most of it um, and soon I, I realized that I it just wasn't a situation that I could force myself to to you know, put in, put put try to force passion on something that I'm not passionate about. So I really didn't last there long. But um, I'm definitely thankful for that opportunity. I'm thankful for that quote unquote failure, which it's not a failure. You know, failure is if you mess up and you don't learn anything from it. And I definitely learned that. I just can't put myself in positions where I don't enjoy what I'm doing. I'm not passionate about what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, man, there, there was definitely a lot of pressure on me two months after graduation. Um, and I think I, I let that pressure get to me and I, I just jumped on the first opportunity rather than taking my time and trusting, you know, the plan that God had for me and just trusting myself and trusting that I would get an opportunity that, you know, I, I, I really wanted. Um, but I, I don't necessarily regret it. Um, I kind of wish that I would say it a bit longer so I could have saved up a bit more money, but otherwise it's like, cool, man. Like it, it's, it one thing I've learned in life is it's good to have experiences like that because you learn what you don't want and then you just never put yourself in that position again. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for it even if it might not have ended on the best terms. (laughs) Yeah. And so
1: that, that last statement you stated there is a, is a major fact (laughs) It's like, you know, you, there's some, first off something to learn in every experience And, and for you it was like, okay, I don't want to do that. I'm never going to put myself in that position again. <laughs> yeah. But, and that, and that's important. You know, sometimes people go into a thousand of those situations and never come out learning. and yeah. never put out, come out reflecting. And then they just go back into it again. They're like, why am I always sad and hating my job and they're oppressed? I'm like, dude, cause you've done the same job 12 different times at 12 different companies. Like you haven't learned yeah. like what that this, this isn't the path that you want to go. You got to find something else. So, um, yeah so what is when's your when's your very first like paid freelance or or job like or like which is still freelance but anyways when's your when's your first paid gig when it comes to
0: writing well and tell me how you felt when that happened yeah so i came in july of 2018 so that was a month after i left the the recruitment job i only worked the recruitment job from february 2018 to june 2018 so like four months Um, so I left and I was like, all right, I'm I'm gonna go full-time into writing. I'm gonna, cause I, you know, the, I would wake up at six, commute to the city, get to work by like 8.30, be at work till like six, commute back home, get home at eight, eat dinner, watch a show, maybe FaceTime the person I was dating at the time, go to sleep and do it all again. And I didn't have much time to write. And I really miss writing. You know, writing is my therapy. Writing keeps me balanced and music is my therapy as well. So being able to combine two things that I love doing um, just, it, it always helped me, you know, throughout college. Um, so yeah, my first paid writing opportunity came in July. I, I had a friend who was freelancing for Revolt and I saw he was putting articles out for them and they were really dope. And I was like, yo man, like, you know, I was straight up. I was like, I'm I'm trying to get paid for my writing. <laughs> so how, how, how do I go about that? And he uh, set me up w- w- with the editor at the time, who was uh, Danielle Ch- Chessman, Cheeseman, I-, I think her name is. I've, I-, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. But so I connected with her, sent her a few pitch ideas, and she liked one. Uh, and the the idea that I had, it was basically talking about the the streaming era and how to be a superstar and how you know certain artists who have established themselves as superstars can take more risks. Because that, that, that was the summer when uh, Kanye West and Good Music put out all those albums that that were seven songs long. Drake put out Scorpion that was 25 songs long. Uh, Lil Yachty in like 2017 put out Teenage Fever, which was pretty, uh, was it called Teenage Fever? Teenage, Teenage Emotions. Um, So yeah, I was basically just trying to give some perspective on how streaming has helped and kind of hurt certain artists because everyone wants to put out, this big album just so it can stream a lot and it can do a lot of numbers. But if you haven't established that trust with your fan base, they might not be so willing to listen to 21 songs from you, especially if you're not as that great. Like I, I think, I think Lil is talented. A lot of people don't like him. I, th- I think Lil Yachty's really talented. I don't think he should have put out an album that long so early into his career. Drake on the other hand, who's been doing this for over a decade at this point, um, and and he was very inspired by uh, by a notorious B.I.G.'s life after death, and I'm sure he he drew some inspiration from uh, Jay Z putting out the Blueprint two, which was a double disc. You know, he put out Scorpion as a double disc, and it's now like five times platinum. You know, it had some really big singles, and you know it wasn't as critically acclaimed, but commercially it was super successful. And I was like, yeah, Drake has. From his Degrassi days to so far gone to you know, thank me later, take care, and everything you put out after, he's proven like I can make really good music. People trust me. So I can put out a 25-song album and most of the world is is really gonna fuck with it, you know, even if it's super long. Like, you know, it's it's an hour and a half of music, which is which is definitely a lot. Like, especially these days, streaming has really conditioned us to complain about an album running for a long time um and it could be 25 songs that are one minute each but people just look at you know how many songs there are and they're like oh my god rather than considering the uh the 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 time in which the album lasts because Tide allison put out a 25 song album just this past fall but it was only like one hour long because a lot of his songs were shorter and he had like more interludes and stuff so yeah i basically wrote about you know like You have to establish yourself before you can take those creative risks, like putting out a long album or doing a surprise album or something like that. Um, And she liked it and it went out and I got paid for it. And that was an incredible feeling, though, like, you know, there's a lot of people who say there's no money in music. Like everyone looks at the artists and sees how successful they are. And they're like, you know, if you want to make money in music, you got to be an artist. And the artists don't really make that much either like you don't make money just from selling your music you have to tour it you got to do merch you got to do appearances and stuff like that so as someone who accepted I, i wouldn't be a rapper or a singer you know making money in journalism just didn't feel all that realistic so having that opportunity to actually make money on the writing that i was doing was like oh wow like this is this is really something i can do and this big platform trusts my ability um So yeah, that was dope. And I ended up putting out one more article for them on uh, how I wanted to see more collaborative albums from R&B artists because like 2017, 2018 was when all these rappers were doing collab albums. You had uh, Lil Baby and Gunna. You had Dave East and Styles P. You had Young Thug and Future the year before. You had 21 Savage, Metro Woman, Offset the year before. You had just a bunch of different collaborative albums. And I was like, yo, R&B artists should do this too. It would be really cool to hear Division and her do an album. It'll be cool to see Khalid and like someone do an album. Um, So yeah, man, it was, it was an incredible feeling. I'm very thankful to Revolt for trusting me and putting that, that piece out. Um, And yeah, it it just kind of gave me that fuel to, to keep writing and keep striving. I love it. I love it. And if you had,
1: let's say, if you had to give two tips to, to young writers coming up right now on, you know, finding a way to monetize their work, what would be like your two tips of how they should go about it? Um, Doesn't have to be anything crazy. But just from your experience, what do you think are two ways somebody can go about getting a better chance at monetizing their work?
0: Yeah, so one, don't chase it. Don't write just to make money, write because you love it. It's so easy to tell when someone is passionate about their writing. I don't write about anything I'm not passionate about, whether I'm getting paid for it or not. There's nothing I put out that doesn't come from a genuine inspiration and passion. And, you know, the money's not going to come immediately. So you have to build up your portfolio. That means writing for some smaller blogs. That means starting your own blog. That means putting work on Medium and just, you know, using social media to network. Um, So one, don't chase the money, um, you know, right from a genuine place. And to understand that, you know, if if you really do want to make money off of it, it's not going to come immediately, you kind of have to prove yourself. And that means by that means creating bylines for yourself or getting bylines elsewhere. And then when you approach these big publications that have the backing of all these sponsors, showing them what you've done. Um, and, you know, hoping that they're impressed by it and they give you an opportunity. And, you know, that all comes from, being a good writer, like it's as simple as that. Like write well. Don't just be passionate about it. You, like there are certain guidelines you have to follow. You have to be technically sound as well as you know, uh, just have a good, a, a cool voice that people want to read and you know people can kind of relate to. Um, but yeah, man, like the, the passion and, and the hard work is it is going to get you there. It might take you some time, but it's it's going to get you there. So don't chase it. I love that. I love that. So
1: if you were to think of what number do I want to choose? Uh, Let me just choose the number I've been going with. If you were to think of two um, articles, write-ups that you've written specifically about music, doesn't have to be for, it could be for Medium, for yourself, your own blog, uh, maybe it was just a Twitter thread, whatever it might have been. What are two um, write-ups that you've or I don't know if that's the correct verbiage, but anyways, you get what I'm trying to say. Um, two, two, two articles you've written about hip hop um, that you really enjoyed personally, that you really like, it's one of your favorite things that you've written.
0: Uh, yeah, man. Uh, and I appreciate you asking whether it's write up or not, because actually a lot of writers hate the, the term write up because it it, it, it kind of minimizes the work that we do. Like, you know, they're, they're articles, they're, they're editorial pieces. So, you know, thank you for being conscious of that. Um, two pieces that I really love. Um 2020 was a big writing year for me. Um, so I think the first one would be, I wrote a piece on Brent Fies' most recent EP. It's actually an EP. I thought it was an album, but it was actually an EP uh, called uh, Fuck the World um and the album came out february 7th 2020 i believe i put out my review of it in june i think i put it out like june 13th and that was around the time during the pandemic when all the riots were going on the world was literally burning like buildings were burning and black people had just had enough of you know being mistreated and that really you know affected me personally um i was i was in a very strange emotional place that I'd never really been in you know one just being confined to my home and seeing all this stuff happening and people putting themselves at risk by protesting it was like the world is crazy like the world is fucked and you know I when Brent's when Brent's album originally came out I wanted to review it just because there were so many themes that really related to me at the time I was going through a breakup and you know he was just talking about how he handled women and how he was you know very much about himself and he was just very nonchalant towards a lot of shit and it was something that I kind of related to but there was one time I was listening to it uh, in June and you know with all the riots and you know the world in mind and you know Breonna Taylor, Maud Aubrey, I was just listening to it I was like yeah Brent is saying a lot of toxic relationship stuff but a lot of these themes really extend beyond himself like a lot of these can relate to the relations between black and white people like historically and now and I just had this epiphany. I was like, nah, I, I have to write about this. I was like, yo, does, I wonder if anyone else feels this way about this or am I just taking a shot in the dark? So I wrote the article, put it out. And I think just the place that everyone was at, you know, spe- specifically black people, like we we all just, we all needed some catharsis at that time, whether it was music, whether it was therapy, whether it was whatever, um, I think we all needed it. And so you know, I, I I I put the piece out and it like organically went really crazy. Like a lot of people really, really enjoyed it. And that's it's obviously a great feeling that, you know, people like your writing. But for me, it was really therapeutic because I was able to say a lot of things in that article that I'd never said out loud to maybe my white counterparts, even some of my, my white friends who I felt like weren't as sympathetic towards what was going on in the world. So, you know, I I I kind of just left it all on the paper. And eventually Brent saw the article himself, quote tweeted it, gave me like three prayer hand emojis. And I was like, wow, like, you know, I, I really thought I was taking a shot in the dark. I really thought I was taking just a weird angle towards this album. But Brent related to it. He liked it and a lot of different people liked it. Um so that, that that's one. That, that's one that, you know, whenever I'm lacking confidence in my writing, I, I go back to it. I'm like, yo, you did that. So you're capable of doing uh, anything. And I think another article that I really love, I wrote an article on Bryson Tiller back in October. Uh, Bryson Tiller is finding his new pace. You know, I feel like, you know, he came into the game really white hot with Trap Soul and the big features he was doing. And then his sophomore album, a lot of people didn't like it. And they were just really giving him a hard time. It felt like people were quick to write him off. And that's kind of the era of music we're in now where people move on from people very fast. And throughout 2018 to through 2019, you know, he admitted he was depressed when he put out uh, his sophomore album, True to Self. And, and he was putting out random singles and features here and there. And it, it just felt like he was really trying to find himself and find his new pace. Because you know when you come into the game hot and you set a high standard, people expect that from you. And if you give them anything less than that, People are like, oh, you fell off or you suck or this and that. So it just really felt like he was trying to find his new pace. And that was something I related to, because like I said, 2020 was the best year of my career uh, writing wise. I I, I was able to talk to Pusha T and put out a piece on him. I wrote a piece on Drake Dark Lane demo tapes, which went really crazy. Like I did a lot of big things, but I kind of burnt out at a certain point. Mm -hmm. There was a period where I was lacking motivation. I was like, yo, I, I just feel like I can't write anymore. And so the Bryson piece was my first article in maybe a few months. And I really felt like I related to him. And it made me think of when I was uh, running track in, in high school, freshman year, my, my very first track meet, I ran the uh, the uh, 400, you know, two laps around the track. And because I, I wasn't experienced, you know, the race started and I just sprinted. I, I just got out and I was like, yo, I'm, I'm in first place. I'm about to win this. And then I burnt out and I ended up coming in last. And then, you know, my teammates and my coach had to talk to me. They're like, yo, you have to pace yourself, but like, you're going to find your pace eventually. And I, you know, that, that story for myself, it really felt like Bryson was doing the same thing. And, you know, with me in track, I eventually found the race I was good at, which was the 200, one lap. I just was able to sprint around. I ended up getting a medal in that. And it felt like Bryson, especially with, you know, him, him having his, 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 kid, And, you know, his, his relationship and all that, like, you know, he was just living his life and trying to reestablish himself. And so I, 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 put that piece out in October, that one organically did pretty well. And one thing I do when I, when I put out an article, I'm really proud of is I immediately try to go to the gym and like work out a lot. So I can feel sore just to like humble myself. Like, yeah, like you're a good writer, but don't get too high on yourself. Like you, you're still growing. You're still building so I try to put myself in a position of weakness for lack of a better term and so I'm, I'm at the gym I just finished up a set pulled out my phone to like change a song I was like let me just check Twitter I checked Twitter and the article went from like you know maybe like 30 retweets 50 likes to like hundreds and, and thousands and I was like what the hell like how, how did this go so crazy and then I realized Bryson himself retweeted it because I, I tagged him in it. I always tag artists and and whenever I write about them, just on the off chance they see it. And because you know, there there's these feelings towards the media that the media is very negative. So I, I try to let them know like I'm doing responsible uh, coverage of you. And so he ended up retweeting it. He uh, he followed me back on Twitter. He he responded to me like, "Yo, man! Like I really appreciate this. Thank you." I was like nah man it's all love and like I'm excited for the album because that was around the time he announced that he was putting out the Trap Soul Deluxe that he put out back in the fall Um, and you know he and I've had a couple conversations since then he's a really really cool dude Um, and yeah that was another cathartic piece for me it was funny well one of my friends who I talked to about it he was like yo yeah like you wrote that about Bryson Tiller but that was really about you I was like in a way it was about me, you know, I've been studying Bryson for the last three years. And I feel like, you know, we do have some similarities. And I felt like, especially at this stage in our lives, they were almost parallel, even though he's got millions of dollars and millions of followers. So we're not at the same stage, but just mentally, I felt like we're at the same space. So one, it felt good to come back to writing because that was my comeback piece. Um, And two, it felt good that, you know, it kind of hit home for him as well. Um, So yeah, I would say those two, those two, but you know, I, I really try to not rest on my laurels. Like, you know, it's 2021 now, so the 2020 victories don't matter. This is a completely new season. Um, But, I, you know, when I am feeling lacking confidence, I do go back to those two um, just to remind myself what I'm capable of. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take it higher now. I love that. I love that. Man, so I
1: wanted to ask you, what do you when it comes to your writing, when it comes to your career, how do you define what success looks like? How do you, how do you like know when, the, when there's a point where you're like, all right, I did it. Like I did, I did it. Or do you think it's just a constant, you know, chasing, but is there a moment for you that, you know, in your head is
0: like the moment where you've like, I've done it. Um, I think there've been a few moments where I felt like I've done it, but the per- type of person I am I'm always looking ahead. So, you know, I, I do sit in those triumphant moments and I celebrate them and I enjoy them and I feel really good about myself. And then, you know, it's like, all right, it's it's tomorrow now. Like, what am I gonna do now? I have to do better than what I did previously. But I think the feeling of success is internal. You know, a lot of people define it as money or followers, you know, ha- having a verified check. And those are all things I want. Like, I can't, like, I love Twitter. I can't wait till I'm verified on Twitter. But that doesn't mean anything. You, you can be verified and be struggling. You can be verified and be depressed. And so I'm all about the intrinsic motivation. I'm all about the. I'm all about being solid I- internally. So my definition of success is being genuinely happy with myself, with what I'm doing, and with where I am. And even though you know I'm, I'm very ambitious and I'm always looking to do more, if I'm able to sit and be like, I'm content. I'm content with what I'm doing, I'm content with myself, I'm content with the people that are around me, I'm content with the work I'm doing. That's success to me. Um, if you're chasing any type of material stuff or fame, you're never going to be satisfied. That's, that's a hunger that is, is never satiated. You're, you're just going to keep going um and like i said i i'm the type of person who keeps going like you know once i have a million dollars as drake said in, in his rap radar interview back in 20 december 2019 like you know you get a million dollars then you're gonna be hungry for 10 million and you get 10 million you're gonna want 100 million and i think that's gonna that's how i'm gonna be too but i think as i've grown as a man and really valued my 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 mental health and you know constantly i'm talking to myself and just you know reminding myself how great i am i've Really let go of the need for attention, the need for recognition, the need for likes and retweets. And you know, I definitely want money. Like I would love to be in a better financial situation than I am right now. But I think you're successful if you're able to wake up and be be happy with yourself. And you know, happiness isn't like total like you might not be a hundred percent happy, you might be like 98% happy, and then that two percent is like, oh, but I could do this better, or I messed up there, but You know, if you have more to feel blessed about than more to complain about, that's my definition of of success. Yeah, I think I love that first and foremost, but I also think
1: that like people get confused with like billionaires. Some people really want to be billionaires, but I feel like a lot of billionaires are super rich people. It's not that they're greedy and desire the billions and billions of dollars but it's just that they reach that point of content probably at 10 million liquid right they're like oh yeah I think I'm content I've done enough in my career where I'm happy my children are safe they're they live in a good area they're getting good education they're fed like I'm content every day I wake up I'm pretty content with my life but just because you're content doesn't mean your hunger for for you know doing more isn't isn't there like you know you could be like all right i want to build this business even more because i want to add this on to this business or i want to write this piece you might write it you might be at the point where you're content in writing but then you like do one interview with somebody that just like you just wanted to do it just because you desired to do it you're like man i said i was going to interview this person before i die and i want to like i'm content but i want to interview this person before i die you interview them, the interview goes crazy. Now 20 opportunities come your way. You take a few of them and it brings you up another 10 million. It doesn't mean you wanted $10 million. It's yeah. just that you desired to, to do something and it brought certain opportunities. And I think, um, I think that's like, you know, a way of thinking that people need to distinguish Like, where are you going to be content and happy with life? What do you need to fulfill your purpose? Like what w- what is that? And then like, Obviously, as humans, nobody wants to just sit on their ass every day. I promise you, nobody really wants to do that. Some people will do it for a long period of time, but that's mostly likely because they've lost uh, sight of their purpose. That's most likely because they're struggling with some type of, you know, mental health. Nobody that's just like chill, that's good, like is just feeling good, wants to just sit at home all day long. Everyone has Mm -hmm. different things that they want to do, different levels that they want to achieve. So, um, you know, I could go on a big rant, but I love that. I love yeah. what you had to stay there. Um, so it's the end of your career, man. Like not right now, but you know, hypothetically, <laughs> um, it's the end of your career. You've you've written, you know, as many articles, as many editorials, as many, um, you know, movies, whatever <laughs> lanes you want to go down. You know, you've interviewed yeah. whoever you want to interview. Your podcast has gone up and done numbers, and you've been able to have dope conversations done everything you've wanted to do. How do you want to be remembered by the people? How do you want to be remembered by your family, by your grandchildren, by your great-grandchildren? How do you want to be, what do you want your legacy to be when you, when you, uh, depart from this earth?
0: Uh, man, I think, I think it just comes down to, I'm a passionate ass dude. And I think everyone, if you talk to me long enough, you can feel that passion. Like if you bring up music or wrestling or mental health, you know, things that I've, I've brought up so many times in this conversation, like my passion just jumps out. Um, and, you know, I've, I have this quote in my Instagram bio, it's passion and purpose. I'm driven by my passion and my purpose. And I think that I found my purpose in life, which is to be a storyteller, to, to stand out, you know, to not just be part of the norm, but to create a different norm, to encourage other people that you can take the the road less traveled by and yeah, that there's no, it's not laid out. Like there's no perfect way to do it. You're going to stumble, you're going to fumble, but you know, as long as you get back up and and you're driven by the right things, then, you know, you're doing it the right way. And like, you're going to be successful if you work hard. Like that's, that's, that's just what you might not be successful at what you originally planned to be successful at, but through this journey, you find other things that you care about um, so I, I just want people to remember me for my passion, everything that I do that everything I do that I genuinely care about comes from my passion, the, the things that I put the most time and energy into is a result of this intense passion within me because I, you know, I, I genuinely stay busy I don't like being bored like I can't tell you the last time I felt bored because I'm just always doing something. And it's not always something work related, like it might just be laying in bed and watching old wrestling matches for hours or hanging with my girlfriend or hanging with my boys. But, you know, those are all things that I'm passionate about. I don't ever put myself in a position to do something that I don't like, or I'm never going to do that again. Um, So I just want people to remember that, be encouraged by that, be inspired by that. And I also want people to strive to accomplish more than me. I, I want my kids to be better than me. I want my friends around me to, you know, do better than me, because that motivates me to then do better than them. And not, and not in, in a competitive way, but like, I, I, iron sharpens iron. It's funny, like, uh, the Bible verse I read this morning, Proverbs 27, 17, it's literally iron sharpens iron. And I keep a lot of iron around me. My, my parents are my iron, my brother is my iron, my girlfriend is my iron, a, a lot of my friends are my iron. And they pushed me that they they believe in me and they've you know helped me to not give up and I don't think I'm ever going to give up in life because I'm just way too fucking passionate like it's like Drake's line from uh what song it was was a song on Scorpion he's like I swear I get so passionate you do not know the half of it and I, I really think like even in people seeing how passionate I am through social media or through conversation they don't fully know like I I care about so many things and there are so many things that I want to improve whether it's the journalism field whether it's black men's feelings towards therapy and mental health whether it's the perception of wrestling whether it's how men ap- approach relationships with women and appreciating women like there's so much that, that, that I care about and so yeah man I'm, I'm I'm gonna keep saying it over and over but my my passion is what I think I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be remembered for and not what I want to be remembered for I think it's what I'm going to be remembered for. I love it. I love it,
1: man. Well, I really appreciated this conversation, my brother. Um, I feel like we got to know a lot about you. we got to hear the passion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we got to, you know, be introduced to, you know, some of the stuff you do. Um, and before we head out today, I want to ask you to plug your podcast and then I also want you to plug where people can find any of your past, uh, Articles, editorials. I'm gonna work on that verbiage. I got you. <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but where they can find your work and uh, where they can follow you?
0: Yeah. So um, both my Twitter and my Instagram are my name, Armand Sadler at A R M O N S A D L E R. In my Twitter and my Instagram bio, you can find uh, the the at for my podcast. Stay busy with Armon Sadler. It's at Stay Busy Pod. Um, I also have a link to my link tree. That's basically my portfolio of all my writing. So it has my medium articles. It has uh, the interview I did with Pusha T. It has some interviews people have done for me. It's got my wrestling podcast as well and a lot of other uh, content that I've done. So, yeah, if you follow me on social media, you really basically get access to everything that I do and have done. And I I think I'm a pretty good Twitter follow as well. I try to keep people entertained. So Uh, yeah, follow me at Armand Sadler. Follow the podcast at Stay Busy Pod. We drop every Monday, 9 a.m. on all platforms. I love it. I love it. Consistency
1: wins every time. Shout out to Armand Sadler for his passion, his consistency, his dedication to completing things even when they're tough. And uh, we really just appreciate you coming on the show today. Hopefully the listeners uh, enjoyed it as well. I'm sure they did. Um, also, TCT listeners, make sure you leave a five-star review, comment, and share this with a friend, as that is the only way we can grow. If you mm-hmm. don't do that, we will not grow, and you're being selfish. <laughs> with that being said, I love y'all. Um, thank you for coming on. Stay, stay here, though. When I end this episode, I got a few things to say, so I want to say. But, yeah, man. The Culture Talks Podcast. Thank y'all for tapping in. It's your boy C I double Z Y. Salud.